Piet spoke last week about how when we're in dark places and difficult situations, we need to learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord. I had a dark time a few years ago, and I've spoken about this before. I found it so helpful to find, to spend time reading the Bible and then walking around the hills around the two bar area, just thinking about what I'd read. And since then, people I love have been in difficult places, dark situations, and I've been able to encourage them with Bible verses. And it's great when you, you share something that you feel God has given you for someone, and they come back and say, I just needed that. And that is so important. And that's part of what makes us family. Um, but it's hard to do that if we don't know where to find the encouragement, mm. if we don't know where things are in the Bible. So today I want to talk about falling in love with the Bible. When I told my dad the title of my sermon um, a couple of weeks ago, he asked if it wasn't Jesus we were supposed to fall in love with. <laughs> well, yes it is, but how do we fall in love with someone that we don't know? So... The Bible is where we find Jesus and we learn about him and we, we meet with him. Um, and Jesus was passionate about the Bible. So maybe I should be speaking about being passionate about the Bible. So take your pick. Um, so when I say Jesus was passionate about the Bible, he was. But it was the Old Testament he was passionate about because the New Testament didn't exist. It wasn't written till after he had lived, died, risen, and gone back to heaven. So Jesus never knew what we see as the New Testament. He was the New Testament, but he didn't read the New Testament. Um, but he was passionate about the scriptures. And he said, when defending himself against the Jewish leaders who wanted to stone him for blasphemy, he said, scripture cannot be broken. Then again, when he was teaching his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And then after his resurrection, when he opened the minds of his disciples to understand the scriptures, he said, everything that must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And then throughout his ministry, he quotes scripture. He knew it. It was a part of who he was. So from his temptation in the desert to when he's on the cross, to when he appears to the disciples on the road to Emmaus after his, his resurrection, he quotes scripture. So how can we be passionate about the Bible? So I want us to be passionate about the Bible. I'm not here today to guilt trip you because you don't read it every day, because you don't memorize it, because you don't um, uh, um, do all the things that people tell you sh you should do. That's not what I'm about today. What I'm about is encouraging you to get to know the Bible, to get to know how it fits together, who wrote it, how, what it contains, where to find things. When um, I grew up most of my life, 
using one of these Bibles, although these days it gets bigger and bigger because I can't read this print. But um, I grew up on this. And so when I, 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 I kind of read scripture and memorized it as a child, but I didn't always remember exactly where it came from. So I would have in my mind's eye where it, where it was on the page. You know, I would know, well, it's one of, um, it's one of Paul's letters, and I think it begins with C, and it's the top right-hand corner of the page. So I would have to go to, oh yeah, that's it, that's where it comes. Um, these days, I rely on this. And the lovely thing about these is there's a search function, so I can search for what the, the text that I want to find it. So um, whichever one you choose, or use both, it's, it's a fantastic way of, of finding things in the Bible. So, how can we fall in love with or be passionate about the Bible? The first thing we need to do is read it. If you're not reading it, you can't be passionate about it. And I don't mean a verse here or a verse there, out of context. Although Jesus can take those and use them to speak to us, if we don't understand where it comes from, if we don't understand the context, we lose their significance and their richness. Um, if you don't have a version of the Bible, a translation of the Bible that you find easy to read, if every time you read it you go, ah, oh, I need to look up that word and that word and it, it kind of doesn't make sense to me, find a version that works for you. There's no wrong or right, it's scripture that you understand in your own language or a language that you're completely comfortable with. Some languages have multiple translations. I, I have no idea how many English translations there are of the Bible. In other languages, there may be fewer translations, so you have fewer options, but find what works for you. Um, and that's so that you can read great chunks of it together. And it's like reading a book, reading a novel, rather than reading scripture, studying the Bible. Just read it. Um, one of the beautiful things about the Bible apps is that they give you lots of different choices for free. And so that you can find the one that works for you before you go out and buy it. So find scripture that just settles well with you in the way of, of a translation. And then how do you read it? So the first time I read the, book, the Bible through from beginning to end, I was eight years old. We had a competition at Sunday school, and I love competitions, particularly when I think I can win. Um, so that year, I read every one of the books of the Bible, all 66 of them, in order, and my team won. It was so good. Back then, I only had one translation of the Bible, the Revised Standard Version. Uh, revised Standard Version wasn't really written for eight-year-olds to read. So I, I read it, but I may have skimmed some stuff, and I may have not understood everything that I was reading, but I read it. And I got to understand, at least to start off with, what kind of stuff came where in the Bible. So if you have children who can read, you might like to set up a competition of your own in the family. It might be that you want to see if they can, who can read the, uh, the books fastest or whatever, but um, you might like to do something that some of us did when we were children and young people. Um, in Ephesians 6, Paul describes the Bible as the sword of the spirit. So some of us used to do sword drills. 
Now, in a sword drill, the leader gives out a verse, and it's the first person who can find the verse in the Bible, and they find it, and they raise their sword. So that's maybe a competition you can have with children and young people, to get them familiar with what, where to find what in the Bible. Just a fun idea. But it's never too early to read the Bible with your children. Read them with them regularly. Talk to them about it. And so that it's a family thing, reading the Bible. And it becomes completely normal to your children. So that as they grow older, it's, you know, reading the Bible is just something that you do every day. Or something that you do as part of your life. And get them age-appropriate versions. You know, the revised standard version I read when I was eight was not perfect. We then got the Good News Bible, which came out a bit later. That was much easier for me to read. Um, and then there's, there's all sorts of others that you can, you can find. So the competitive approach isn't for everyone. Um, and nor is reading the Bible through book by book from the start to finish. So you might like to start reading in the New Testament. And every time that a writer in the New Testament quotes from the Old Testament, you go back, but you don't just read that verse. You read around it. What came up to it? What, what context is it in? Because when people quote scripture in the New Testament, they know that, that or they expected their um, readers to understand the context of the scripture. So it wasn't just the words, it's the context that it comes from. So that's one way um, to read and get to know the Old Testament and how it fits with the New Testament. Um, another way you could do it is um, when we sing songs in church. So we sang this morning that our bones will, my bones will sing. I don't know about you, but my bones don't sing. And where does that come from? Go to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, um, Ezekiel is taken by the Holy Spirit to a valley of dry bones. And go to Ezekiel, find the valley of dry bones, and find out why bones sing. And that's the kind of way that we can explore the Bible and get to know it. Um, another example is we sang that God is slow to anger. Where does it first say in the Bible that God is slow to anger? It might be quite difficult to find in this, dead easy to find in this. Um, where does he say it first? But when does he remind his people that is slow to anger? Because lots of these things don't, happen, don't occur just once in the Bible. We find them lots of times. So look for that. You know, I was talking about when... Um, when New Testament writers quoted scripture, they expected people to know the whole context. So when Jesus is on the cross, he quotes from scripture. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That comes from Psalm 22. It's the opening of the psalm. And his Jewish hearers would have known what that psalm was about. I'm not going to read it, um, but go away and read all 31 verses, and it is a fantastic description of Jesus' experience on the cross. And it was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And so we can understand the New Testament in the light of the Old Testament, and the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament. 
another way to read the Bible because the Bible is not actually um, put together in chronological order. So sometimes it's quite helpful to read it in chronological order. So you might want to get a list of uh, the books or bits of the books in chronological order as they happened in time. Um, I'm sure something is available online. Personally, I rely on the Lion Handbook to the Bible for stuff like this. And I checked online. It does still exist, although the version that I've got is on sale for nearly $200 because I think it's probably now a collector's item. But you can read through probably from Genesis through to Joshua, pretty much straight through. But partway through the book of Judges, you need to break off to read Ruth, because Ruth is set in the time of the Judges. 1 Samuel starts before the end of the book of Judges, and 1 Chronicles can be read at the same time as 2 Samuel. So you can kind of see how things fit together. Isaiah lived towards the end of the time of two kings, from about chapter 15 on, because we read at the beginning of Isaiah, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, so you then go and find out when King Uzziah died, and you can read what was happening at the time when Isaiah was prophesying. All of these things can be done at different times. They're not the kind of thing that you sit and do every day, like reading your verse of the day or whatever it might be. But you might find that you're sitting on a plane and you've got time to read and you can do it then. Or you, have some, you can set some time aside um, at a weekend when you're not quite so busy, whatever it might fit in with your life. But this is just about getting to know how the Bible works, getting to know what's where. The second point is that we need to understand what the author intended his readers to understand. And in this uh, age of uh, diversity and inclusion, I say his advisedly, because every author of the Bible is a he. Um, just the way it happens. So the author of a novel, if you, want, if you want to read a novel, the author wrote it to entertain her readers, because many authors of novels are women. And maybe to inform them about, about a, a particular place or a particular time in history. But the story itself is a story. You're not supposed to take it literally. The author of a science textbook, and as a scientist I know something about this, they take the best current understanding of the science, because science is constantly being updated as we learn more, and they describe it in a way that's understandable for the level of knowledge that they expect their target audience to, ha audience to have. So you wouldn't give a university science textbook to um, a child at school, say, at the age of 14 or 15. They'd be completely lost. But in the same way, you wouldn't swap them around. It's all based on published research, which is right at the time, but we may learn more later. And for university-level audiences, they're... All the papers are listed at the end of the book. So you can go and refer to it. But, so that's a science textbook and a novel. How about biographies? When an author of a biography writes, they want to tell you about the life of a person. They might want to talk about how they got to the position that they occupied, how they changed their world. They may put in all kinds of information that the subject of the biography wouldn't want you to know. They may also put in um, a different perspective 
on that information to what the person themselves would bring. Um, the author, author of an autobiography is that's different. They will they want you to understand the facts as they understand them. They want you to understand what they thought and felt about what happened to them. And they may want to justify their actions or justify what had happened around them as part of the autobiography. Now, there's plenty of history in the Bible. History books, in general, are written from a particular perspective and usually that of the winner. And they usually put the winner and the winning group in a good light. That's kind of what they're there to do. Now, the Bible doesn't contain any novels. It doesn't contain any science textbooks either. But it does have history, biography, autobiography, poetry, pro prophecy. It has erotica, and yes, I did say that. It has wisdom to live by. It has songs. It has letters. You probably wouldn't want to sing the Song of Solomon in church as a worship song, and you wouldn't want to sing Psalm 100 as a love song to your spouse. Go away and have a look at both of those and see what they say. Now, unlike most history books, the history in the Bible doesn't always put the people in the best light. Bad stories are even included about its heroes. That's because it's history with a purpose. It, all the stories that are included in the Bible are intended to show us something about God. And, you know, when the heroes mess up, like David, God doesn't abandon them. But he does allow them to suffer the consequences of their actions. And when the heroes aren't very heroic, like Gideon, God still uses them. So we, we, we understand something about God from these stories. There's a wonderful story when a prophet won't listen to God. And God chooses to speak through a donkey instead. And if you don't know where that happens, go and search the Old Testament to find it. So that's understanding what the author intended by writing what they've written. Then, as you're reading, look for Jesus in what you're reading. The Bible isn't just a collection of books. Each book has a human author, but it also has a divine inspirer behind the human author. So we need to understand the human author, but also the divine inspiration. And the divine inspiration throughout wants to draw our eyes to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, in some places, it's easy to see Jesus. For example, in Isaiah 53, we can easily see that this is the kind of Messiah that Jesus was. And there are many chapters around that part of Isaiah that point to the kind of Messiah Jesus would be. They're called the suffering servant chapters. And, and they point us to that type of Messiah. So the G Jewish people shouldn't have been surprised. It was all in their scriptures when Jesus came as the Messiah. And again, as I've said, we can quite easily see the crucifixion in Psalm 22. So, again, the Jewish people shouldn't, be, shouldn't have been surprised. But some places are harder. Can we find Jesus in Genesis, in Exodus, in the Levitical law, in all the battles that the nation of Israel had against the people who were in the promised land when they entered and against their neighbours when they were in the land? I think we can, yes.
you'll be pleased. I'm not actually going to go through chapter by chapter and tell you how we find Jesus. We'd be here until Christmas. And if a real expert was doing it, we'd be here till Christmas 2023. Um, But if you want a great resource to find this in bite-sized chunks, easy to understand videos, the Bible Project is a fantastic resource that you can go to to get this kind of thing pre-digested and then dive yourself into scripture. I do want to give you a couple of examples, though, um, where you might look for Jesus in unexpected places. In Genesis 1, we read how God created the world. And then in verse 26, God says, let us make mankind in our image. Now, in English, we sometimes talk about the royal we, you know, Queen Victoria saying, we are not amused. Is that what the we means here? No, it's not. It's because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Jesus was there at creation. And John reminds us of that in the introduction to his gospel um, in chapter 1. Now, God isn't mentioned much in the book of Ruth, but Ruth is a beautiful picture of redemption. Ruth is a widow at a young age, before she had any children. And her mother-in-law is also widowed, and because she has nothing, she chooses to go back to her home country. So Naomi was an expat, and Ruth was a local, and then went back with her mother-in-law to their homeland, or to Naomi's homeland. So Ruth is a foreigner in a land, and she and Naomi are widows. They have nothing. They are so poor. But Ruth is redeemed by Naomi's wealthy relative, Boaz, and becomes his wife. It could be said that Boaz prefigures Jesus in redeeming Ruth, and he redeems her and brings her into the circle of the love of Uh, into his love and God does that for us he redeems us and brings us into the circle of his love and the wonderful part of this is that Ruth becomes the great-grandmother of King David and therefore this foreigner in the people of Israel was an ancestor of Jesus so being a foreigner is something that you know, it's, it's in God's word that foreigners are brought into the family. And the fourth way that we can um, be passionate at the Bible is to discuss what we read with others. We increase our love for God's word by talking with like-minded people who share our excitement. And, and you know, as we share what we have learned, they share what they have learned, and we, we, we expand what we understand Um, We could do this in a lift small group, um, at one of the ladies' Bible studies, over coffee or a meal with friends, over coffee here, just wherever you meet together. Whenever we meet together, we can talk about what we're learning by reading the Bible, what God has shown us, and that just increases the excitement. Proverbs 27, and I think it's verse 17, says... As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. 
that's what we're looking to do as we share together, to help each other to understand better and also perhaps to articulate better what we understand from the Bible so that when we speak to people who don't know Jesus, we, we've got a way of describing it that is easily understood. And in Hebrews 10, the writer tells us to consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some in, are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And that also is a reason to discuss what we've read, to encourage one another, to spur one another on to love and good deeds. So, in conclusion, I, I've seen quite a lot of nodding faces here. I know there are lots of people here today who already share my love for the Bible. But there may be others here who've given their lives to Jesus, but you're less familiar with the scriptures, less familiar with the Bible that Jesus loved and inspired. If this is you, I hope that what I've shared today will help you catch some of my excitement and encourage you to go away and, and learn more about this fantastic book, the living word that God has given us. In the, in the Bible, God reveals himself so that we can know him, know his heart, know his priorities, and know ourselves as he sees us. Or perhaps you don't know Jesus yet, or the Bible. So you probably don't want to start from Genesis if you don't know Jesus yet. You may want to start in where it's easier to meet with Jesus. You might want to read the Gospels of Mark or Luke. Those are the easiest places to meet with Jesus in the Bible. And as you um, meet him there, you go deeper into scripture. And again, I would remind you, get a version that's easy to read. If you have a King James Version at home and you love the language, read that. If you have a King James Version at home and you find it a struggle and every time you pick it up, you put it down again, go and find something that is easy to read because there's plenty. Um, so, yeah, get a version that you can't put down. The message is one of those. So that you can read the story of God, his people, and his plan for redemption. So that, and Jesus, God's plan for redemption was because he wants to spend eternity with the people that he loves. And that's all of us. Yes.